So last Sunday we looked, if you remember, at how Jesus calms the storm, the threatened to sink the boat that Jesus and his disciples were sailing in as they sailed on the Sea of Galilee. And we explored the reason why they were so afraid at seeing Jesus perform this amazing act. To the disciples, only God controlled the elements. And you remember we supported this by going back into the Psalms and seeing all the times where it's written that only God controls the elements. But here, here is Jesus, their rabbi, who they are yet to come to a full understanding of who he is, doing what only God can do. But their response, or sorry, their experience in the boat wasn't the only reason that they found themselves in that situation. If you remember at our passage last week, the very first thing Jesus says to them is, let us go to the other side. Let us go to the other side. Jesus knew they would get through the storm. Jesus knew he'd get through the storm and he knew that they would make it to the other side. Why? Because someone on the other side was desperately in need of help. A man who was beyond human help. Our story today is a continuation of the revealing of Jesus' identity, his power and his authority, his compassion and his faithfulness. So let's read, shall we? In Luke 8, starting at verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but it would break, he would break the tombs and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them into, uh, to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone 
sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. Amen. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear, for he had got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Heavenly Father, we, lo- we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you the goodness of your word. It brings life to our bones, life to our souls, life to our minds and our hearts. And this morning, Lord, I pray that you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what a powerful story. It's one I'm sure that many of us are familiar with. But I wonder, what are your thoughts on demons? What are your thoughts on demon possession? Do you believe in the devil and in demons? Bit of an odd question. But do you? Do you believe that they still operate today? Research conducted by Barna Group back in 2009 on 1,800 self-confessing Christians found that 59% of those 1,800 self-confessing Christians do not believe that the devil is a real being. They do not believe that, that he's just a symbol of evil. disagreed with this statement, praise God. Only 9% didn't know either way. It's pretty shocking really, isn't it? Self-confessing Christians. That was 2009, could you imagine what it's like now? And I, I didn't even put on here what they said about Jesus and God. But that was quite shocking reading as well. But at the outset, it's important, and I really want to clarify this this morning, the devil and demons are very much real. They are very, very much real, and they are very much operating today. God tells us so. His word tells us so. And it would be very unwise and very foolish for us as Christians to believe otherwise. That being said... What comes to mind when you think of demons? Interesting question really, isn't it? What comes to mind when we think about it? Is your picture built on Hollywood? Hollywood has done their utmost over the years to give us lots of different pictures of what demons could look like. Big monster looking creatures with teeth and claws prowling around in the dark in creepy buildings. 
in sewers looking for victims. Hmm. Where, where, this might, where, where this might well be great movie, or great for movies, we've got to be very, very careful that we don't allow Hollywood to be our source of truth on these matters. God and his word are our only truth on these matters. Now, where I don't ever want to give the devil and his minions more time than they deserve, it is important that we remain aware of him and them and their schemes in the world, something even Jesus tells us to do. If Jesus tells us to do something, we should probably sit up and listen. So what does the Bible say they are? Well, quite simply, demons are fallen angels, spirit beings created by God who through their God-given free will chose to follow their leader in rising against God to take control. That was a bit of a silly mistake, wasn't it? But that's what they did. Who was their leader? Satan. Satan, a once holy being created again by God, his pre-fall name, Lucifer, light, or sorry, morning star. Ezekiel tells us that he was an anointed guardian cherub, quite possibly one of the highest orders, if not the highest orders of angels. But that wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for him. Pride got the better of him and he desired to sit on the throne of God. So he, did, he tried to overthrow God and take power for himself, resulting in a war breaking out in heaven. The archangel Michael kicking butt, excuse the word, kicking him and a third of the angels out of heaven and from that moment the devil and his fallen angels have had one purpose, one purpose, to try to disrupt and overcome God's plans in the world. And our story today is an example of one of those ways the devil tries to accomplish this plan. Coming back to our passage, there are three aspects to this story that I would like us to touch on briefly this morning. The first is this, the destructive power of evil. The second is the authoritative power of Jesus. And the third is the liberating power of Jesus. So let's look at this, the destructive power of evil. Let's go back to our passage. Verse 27 says this, When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in the house, but among the tombs. And if we jump to verse 29, it says... For many a time it, the demons, had seized him. He was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into 
the desert. Doesn't your heart break for this man? It really does break for him. What a poor man. But we mustn't be fooled into thinking that this, his being possessed, was the only challenge that he faced. It wasn't. You see, the devil isn't interested in just making your life difficult. He is interested in destroying lives. Destroying lives. Peter says, be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to what? Devour. He's not interested in just making your life uncomfortable. He's looking to destroy lives. And he was doing a pretty good job with this man, wasn't he? I mean, let's look at it. This man's dignity had gone. We read there, didn't we, that he'd spent a long time naked. You walk around your community naked, your dignity is going to disappear pretty quickly. He'd lost his stability. We read there that he didn't have a house to live in. He had nowhere to call home. He'd lost his self-control. We read that this or legion, these demons, would often inflict seizures upon him. And later on, as we see, Jesus asks his name. It's not the man necessarily that replies. It's the demons inside him that reply. He'd lost all self-control. But maybe even worse, he'd lost his belonging. Lost all belonging. People had obviously tried to control him, keeping him under guard and change, which he often broke before running away into the desert, we read. He'd lost his community. He'd lost his tribe, quite possibly outcast to live in the tombs and amongst the tombs. Now this man was on the extreme end of the devil's work. He wasn't possessed by one demon, but by a legion. A legion being quite possibly four to six thousand demons. How can this be, we might ask? Well, the truth is, we don't know. The passage doesn't tell us. But scripture does give us some possible, or at least in our case today, one possible answer. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Luke 12. Don't worry, I chose not to ask who's got their Bibles today. Luke 12, starting at verse 43. When, when the unclean spirit, this is Jesus speaking, has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says... I will return to my house from which I came. 
And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. What did I say? Sorry. Matthew 12, verse 43. Did I? Sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Matthew 12. So I'll read that again. So Matthew 12, verse 43. I'll read it again. So when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. I mean, this picture here, which has a lot of other different meanings, but it's this picture here of what can happen when a, a life is empty, where Christ isn't filling it, where the Holy Spirit isn't filling your, uh, someone's life, how easy it can be. But it's drawing upon that fact that the de a, a demon isn't just that happy with just going back and dwelling, it'll bring others. Who knows, maybe this is a similar situation that's happened to this poor man. Demons are not intent on destruction. Sorry, they are intent on destruction. But it's important to remember, and it is very important to remember this, possession is not as common as some might think. It's very rare you see it in the Old Testament. It's very rare you see it in the New Testament. You see it a lot in the Gospels. I wonder why. Maybe it's because Jesus being here, God in flesh, walking amongst the earth, ministering, has rattled the devil and these demons. Maybe that's why we see so much of it. But we don't see it very often around the world. Particularly not in the West, should I say. But that doesn't detract from the fact that demons will make lives miserable if given a chance. And that goes for you, and that goes for me. Now, I do not believe that true Christians can be possessed. I do not believe that. But I do believe that we can be oppressed. There's a big difference. I don't believe we can be possessed as a true Christian, but I do believe that we can be oppressed. Paul says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? God's spirit dwells in those who have given their life to Christ. 
And I struggle to see how the Holy Spirit would allow a demon to possess the same person that he is dwelling in and living with. It is unthinkable that God would allow one of his children whom he purchased with the blood of Christ and made into a new creation to be possessed and controlled by a demon. But I do believe that we can come under attack and we do come under attack and we feel the oppression of evil affecting us morally, affecting us physically, affecting us intellectually and affecting us spiritually. Morally, to entice us to sin. Making sin look appealing so we choose it over obedience to God. Physically, by sometimes, not all the cat, or not always, sometimes inflicting sickness and disease and using physical trials to cause us to curse God. Intellectually, by seducing us to believe false doctrines, casting doubt that keeps us intellectually blinded to, to the spiritual truth of the gospel and promoting confusion that causes us to act hastily, irrationally and foolish and last but very much not least spiritually by taking every opportunity to snatch away the word of God sown in a believer's heart. And how does he do this? Any possible way you can conceive. Any possible way. Through your family, through your friends, through your work colleagues, through your possessions and the desire for them, through your money and the desire for it, through television, through social media, through films, through radio, through magazines, every possible thing you can conceive, the devil will use to get to you. It's been pretty morbid so far, isn't it? But there is hope. Do I get an amen? Amen. Amen. There is hope. Why? Because there is one ultimate thing the devil and his demons are afraid of. I bet you can't guess who that is. Oh, yes, you can. Jesus. Jesus. They do not like Jesus. They do not like God full stop. But in this earthly existence, Jesus. And that brings us on to our second point. The authoritative power of Jesus. Let's go back to our verse. Verse 28. When he, legion, saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most Hi, God, I beg you, do not torment me. For, fit, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. And Jesus then asked him, what is your name? Oh, there's power in a name, isn't there? 
And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. I would suggest to you that the most obvious truth, the beams that jumps out of this encounter, is the fact that Legion absolutely knew who Jesus was. Absolutely knew without a shadow of a doubt. And he ran to Jesus and fell at his feet and called him Jesus, the most high God. If you ever wanted a clearer picture of Jesus' identity, here it is through the lips of demons. The only, and this is the only thing we could ever agree with demons on. It's the only truthful thing they've ever said. Isn't that true? You are most high God. What's more, Legion didn't just know who Jesus was. They were frightened of him. Oh, that brings comfort, doesn't it? They were frightened of him. <coughs> Excuse me. Frightened that Jesus would cast them into the abyss. The abyss being that holding pen for demons before they, their ultimate resting place, if you will, the lake of fire. James says, uh, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. They are fearful of God. They are fearful of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are fearful. You see, the demons have a theology of eschatology. Don't they? They know how the story ends. They know what happens to them. All at the hands of Jesus. No wonder they're frightened, and they should be. They should be. But then something peculiar happens. Legion begs Jesus to be sent into some pigs and not into the abyss. And Jesus gives them permission. He agrees to their request. Why the demons beg to be allowed into the swine is unclear from the account. We just don't know but displaying his sovereign power over the demons could be one reason. The evil will never out-trump the authority given to Jesus. It's a mystery. We don't know why Jesus did it. But he had his reasons. But the one sure truth is that evil will never out-trump the authority given to Jesus. The authority in his name. I think Paul in Philippians sums this up well. And I love that you read it this morning. You prayed it this morning. A little smile on my, on my, on my face. when uh, I love the way how the Holy Spirit just connects everything together. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth 
and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isn't this similar to what we read the, the Legion did? Fell before Jesus on their knees and called him the Lord Most High. It doesn't matter how evil evil is, they cannot run from the fact that they are nothing compared to Almighty God. Nothing. And this brings us to our last point today. The liberating power of Jesus. Back in our passage at verse 35 we read, Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demon had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Praise God. Praise God. This man had been in the darkest depths of existence. He had lost his dignity. He'd lost his stability. He'd lost his self-control. He'd lost belonging at the hands of legion. Beyond the help of humanity but not beyond the help of Jesus. Not beyond the help of Jesus. Jesus had crossed a vast lake to find this man. He had calmed a storm to reach this man. He had stood face to face with a legion of demons for this man. Why? To liberate this man and bring freedom from his torment. That is the God we serve. That is our God. Yes, Jesus came and died on a Roman cross to set humanity free from the grip of sin and evil for those who choose it and provide a way to a restored relationship with God the Father, a newness of life and hope now and in the future, and an everlasting home with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But just because he was on a worldwide mission, do not think for a moment that he, di he, that he didn't care for the individual person. He absolutely did. And he cares for every single individual person in this room. Jesus' power and authority in this world can set captives free. Amen. Jesus is our God. He is our Lord. He is our Saviour. And he cares deeply for everyone who through faith places their trust in him. The words of Corey Asbury's worship song that he wrote a few 
words ago pops into mind. There's no shadow you won't light up. No mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down coming after me and you. Remember, last week I reminded us of the Isaiah passage Jesus read in the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. And I'm going to remind us again, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Listen to this next part. To set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. This is exactly what happened with this man. And it's exactly what can happen with his, his people, his believers and people in this world. We might not be demon-possessed, but that doesn't mean that from time to time we do not feel evil's oppression. And I ask you the question today, what do you need liberating from? What do you need liberating from? Anger? Bitterness? Envy? Jealousy? Physical, mental ailment? Not always demon oppression, granted, but it does happen. Sinful thoughts, covetous desires, and a big one, guilt. Oh, guilt is a big one. What do you need liberating from this morning? Now, not every situation is due to demonic oppression. Sometimes it can just be the way we've chosen to live our life. Yeah? There is sometimes we blame the devil, it's not even him doing anything. But that doesn't mean, with all of these things, that Jesus is any less able to help us to overcome those areas that we need liberating from. And I want to encourage you today, and we say this every week because we believe in its importance in the life of a believer. The prayer area will be over here. Don't underestimate prayer. Do not ever underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us to help us to overcome, to help us and free us from these areas of our life that we struggle with, that hold us back to being that one step closer to being Christ-like and being that bit closer to being a brighter light in this world. Liberation doesn't always have to mean being, being liberated from 
demon possession. It can be as simple as bitterness and anger and all of these little things. We have all been liberated by Jesus' blood on the cross, have we not? But sometimes there are those things in our life that the devil will exploit. And we've got to be people who are strong enough and bold enough to stand in the name of Jesus with his help and in his power, not our own, and allow Jesus to do the work there. If the band would like to uh, come up, please. Thank you. What's amazing is that there is no person that Jesus touches that doesn't want to draw closer to him. The community begged Jesus to leave and are quite understandably angry about the pigs. Of course they were. and We could have spent another sermon just looking at that situation. But of course they would have been angry. You know, here's this Jewish rabbi, in their eyes, this Jewish rabbi casting out demons, you know, and causing their herds of pigs to run off and, you know, into the river. That's their livelihood. Just another example of how the devil just works his way in, isn't it? Destroy someone's livelihood. But this transformation in this man led to him to beg Jesus to let him go with him. As I'm sure if we're in that situation, every single one of us would have done the same. But Jesus said, No. Jesus said, Go. There's a familiar saying of Jesus that we often talk about. Jesus said, go and tell what God has done for you. And he went, and this is our last passage, the last verse of that passage. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. See, sometimes we can forget this part, can't we? Jesus comes and does something amazing in our life. Frees us from something or a door opens or whatever it may be, but we sometimes forget to go and proclaim the goodness of God. Not just amongst us as believers, but to the world. Church, there is a destructive evil in the world, hell-bent on making our lives miserable and drawing us away from Christ. We will feel the oppression of evil. We will feel it. But we must walk in the truth that we are children of God, washed in the blood of the Lamb, justified and sanctified by Almighty God. And though the devil will try, ultimately, we know he's kidding himself. He will not succeed. Why? Because he was already defeated by Jesus on that cross. Praise God indeed. And my simple closing prayer for us this morning is this. That the Lord opens our eyes to see evil in all its power so we can be on guard 
but more so to let us walk wise and confident as his children ensure and steadfast confidence of the authority and the power of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you.